Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Good morning. My name's Jonathan. If you don't know me, I'm, I'm the pastor of community here at LifePoint. Uh, so two weeks in a row. Uh, so buckle up. We're going for it, right? It's a joy to be here, and I, I pray that uh, the Spirit would work mightily in all of our lives this morning. We're going to continue on in our series of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the Messiah's mission. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew And we're going to be in chapter 13, and I'll start reading in verse 24. But just as a reminder, last week we saw Jesus' first fully developed parable. The parable of the sower, or as I entitled it, the parable of the soils. And the parable was the beginning of the kingdom parables, right? These seven parables that teach on the kingdom of heaven, or you could say the kingdom of God. And they are aligning the expectations of the people with the kingdom that Jesus would be establishing. And so they had expectations based on their reading of the prophets. And they, the parables are Jesus' method for aligning those expectations with the kingdom that he was establishing as the Messiah. Last week we looked at the parable of, sower, of the sower. And it explained that there would be some who respond very differently to the Messiah's message, to the gospel. The follow-up question to that would be, well, what do we do if there is going to be people who reject the kingdom, what are they going to do? If the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of heaven is near, then what do we do with all of these people that reject the kingdom and embrace the evil one, the domain of darkness? In other words, how can heaven, or how can evil exist when the kingdom of heaven has come? And so to our answer, we go to the parable of the weeds. In verse 24, we begin reading. He, Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so if you would, go a little bit farther down to where Jesus explains this parable to his disciples. Verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. 
The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. May God bless the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of His Word this morning. One of the first things I notice in the parable of the weeds is the similarities it shares with the parable of the sower. Both parables have a sower casting seed in his field. They both talk about the seed and the production of the field. We also see that the evil one is mentioned in both parables. Now there are similarities, but there are many differences as well. In the parable of sower, all the seed is good. But here in the parable of the weeds, there are two types of seed that are sown. And Satan is active in both parables. In the parable of the sower, he snatches the good seed away, right? But here he intentionally sows weeds. The focus of the story in the parable of the sower is the soils. And this is to correct the expectation that everyone will respond the same way when the Messiah comes and establishes his kingdom. That was a common assumption during this day. In the parable of the weeds, the focus is on adjusting the expectation of his disciples to the reality that the kingdom will be mixed, wheat and weeds. In other words, there will be no perfect kingdom until the final judgment. Jesus is introducing the idea of the interim age of the kingdom. So here's the main point for our message this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like wheat growing among weeds. So grow as wheat surrounded by weeds. It's an aligning of expectations. The reality that we see, we maybe don't expect, is that the kingdom of heaven is yes, like wheat growing among weeds. And as disciples, our calling, our command is to expect this and is to grow as wheat among weeds. So let's examine the two parts of our text this morning. So first we're going to look at, we're going to look at where Jesus is telling the parable, and then we're going to look at where he's explaining the parable to his disciples. Jesus likens the kingdom to a man sowing seed. We've heard this before, haven't we? This starts very similarly, like the one before. The focus, though, here isn't on the soil, it's on the crop. Jesus specifies that the seed that was sown was good. It was good seed. And that should immediately highlight in your brain and point you back to the parable of the sower, where there was good soil. That the word for good there is the same, right? That we are focused here now on this seed. The sower is carefully choosing the right and good seed 
to sow in his field. What was almost certainly sown in the field would have been a weed called bearded darnel, which is, a very, which is very close in appearance to wheat. Look at these pictures. So here's the first picture. This is what wheat looks like. If you didn't know, I didn't, right? Even though I live in Missouri, it's okay. But this is what wheat looks like when it's, uh, when it's not fully grown. And this would be a critical crop. This would be a familiar crop. But then this is what bearded darnel looks like. This would be the weed that it's talking about. This is a poisonous ryegrass, and it looks very, very similar to wheat. It blends in. I read one commentator said that it is hidden wheat, right? That it's false wheat. You can really only distinguish between these two crops when the ear appears. That's when you can know for sure. When the ear of the crop appears, it is obvious what is wheat and what is weed. The story of the parable then focuses on these two questions that the master receives from his servants. So when the servants realize that there's a number of weeds growing in their field, they run to their master and they ask these two questions. First, where did all these weeds come from? I too found myself asking this question. When we moved here, we bought a new home and it, it, they just had laid out some beautiful new sod. Now, I was not one to really care about my yard. I didn't care at all, right? I had always paid somebody to mow it and this time I had bought a mower. But this new dark green lush fescue stirred something in my dad instincts that I couldn't control. And I thought, I must care for this. This is mine. This is my kingdom. And here I was, beautiful lawn, and I did enough research just to be dangerous. And I got out there and I cared. I cared too much, as my wife would say. And I would get out there and I would pluck weeds, I would fertilize, I would do all of these things, and it all appeared great until a weed appeared. It was a broadleaf weed. So I did some research. How do I get this? And then they started growing and more and more. And what appeared to be all deep, lush, tall fescue was actually weeds growing right alongside of it. I had no idea until they popped up. I started pulling them. I had wondered, looked over at my neighbor's yard. Well, you're not caring like I am. Has, has your yard cast seed in mine? So I blamed him for it. Surely this isn't my fault. So here I was finding myself, where in the world did all these weeds come from? Where did they come from? And like the, like the servants, it was the number of weeds that really had me asking this question. See, when the servants see the wheat growing up, they expected to see some weeds. But what they didn't expect to see was the amount that they saw. There were so many they were astonished. So what they do, they run to their master. And there's an assumption in this first question. Master, did you not sow the good seed? Did you not sow good seed? I mean, knowing their master, knowing his habits, knowing his character, knowing how much he cares for his field, surely he sowed good seed. So there's an assumption of yes. So the real question comes out. How then does it have weeds? Why are they here? How in the world did they get here? You can see the process in their minds as they're astonished with how many weeds are growing along 
their precious wheat. Look at what the sower says. An enemy has done this. A new character is introduced to our story, and then we see our second question from the servants. Do you want us to go and gather them? Well, surely, if an enemy has done this, if this is a sabotage from your enemy, you want us to go out there and rip those weeds out, right? I mean, when I would see a weed in my yard, in my little kingdom of fescue, I would bury my hand in the ground, get those roots out, and be like, you're out. Now, there would be a a barren piece of grass at that point because I went a little too deep. But here we see their same expectation of the servants was my expectation as well. Yes, let's go do it. This is what you pay us to do. You pay us to care for the field. So send us to go out and weed this field. If an enemy has come and sabotaged my master's wheat, then the servant must go and remove the weeds. But then we see his response. The master says, no. You didn't expect that, did you? At least I didn't. When I read the story, what? No, go out and weed the field, right? I thought I knew what was happening. Can't you just see these servants disturbed by all these weeds? And then they hear, no, don't go out there. No, don't go and weed the field. I mean, master, this is what you pay us to do. But the master says, no. Why? Because they would risk uprooting the wheat with the weed. The master doesn't want to risk his wheat. He says in verse 30, that there will come a time to separate. There will come a time to weed the field. The wheat and the weeds will be separated, but now is not that time. They must grow together for a season. When harvest time comes, the master will send his reapers to separate the crop. His reapers, not his servants. We then read in verse 36, Jesus moves from the crowd And he goes into the home, assumed to be Capernaum. The way that Jesus approaches explaining these parables is always with the disciples and not to the crowds. Mark's gospel in chapter 4 verse 34 tells us, He did not say anything to the crowds without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Only a few of Jesus' parables are interpreted or explained for us in the Scriptures. But when he does explain them, it's always to his disciples. And this leads us to our first principle. So we're going to see three principles of how to grow as wheat among weeds. How to grow as wheat when you're surrounded by weeds. Three principles to help that growth. The first, humbly seek the truth of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' disciples were not different from the crowd because they immediately understood. They were not sitting in the crowd and going, oh yeah, I got this, know it, yep, I've already made the connections, Jesus, on it. They're different from the crowd because they sought the truth. The crowd was disinterested. They were waiting for his next miracle, not to understand his teaching. The disciple at that moment that they got, approached Jesus in humility and said, you got to help me here, Master. What are you talking about? Help, Help me understand what you're telling, teaching in the parable of the weeds. 
And then how does Jesus respond? As his disciples struggle to understand, there are times when Jesus says, come on, guys, how long do I have to be with you? But here we don't see that. Gentleness. Approachability amidst their humility. Patience. And with a very detailed explanation. Right? I love this. So I... If you don't see it, you, you can assume every message I prepare includes a table. This time, I've just presented it to you. So here's our table for his explanation, because it's, it's incredible. It's a detailed walkthrough of every character, of every event, everything that's going. This is how my brain works. So I was like, ooh, it's already in a table for me. And so here we see Jesus' detailed explanation of what is happening in the parable of the weeds. It's the sower is the son of man. The reapers are angels. Harvested wheat is righteous entering the kingdom of the Father. So the disciples were having a difficult time understanding the parable that Jesus taught the crowd. But in humility, they come to the Messiah. They say, would you help me? Help me understand. Help me understand what you are teaching. See, remember these parables are intended to correct the expectations they had for the kingdom. They had assumptions that they had made based on the Old Testament prophets of what was going to happen when the Messiah came. And these expectations were correcting and they were struggling to understand. The disciples had assumed, like John the Baptist did, that when Jesus established his kingdom, he would rid the world of all evil. When they're Assumptions contradicted what he was saying, they went to him. When they struggled to understand, they went to him. When they doubted what he was saying, they went to him. Each time they go to Jesus. You might be thinking, well, yeah, if the Messiah was sitting beside me in the house, I too would go to him. Like, you're like, okay, dummy, you got it, right? Like, it's the, it's the thing we like to play in our mind. When I get to see Jesus, I can't wait to ask him this question, right? There's some anticipation. They're seeking an answer. But friends, what do we do when we too struggle to understand what he's doing? To understand the age we live in, we go to him. How? By seeking the truth in the word of God. We have the revealed Word of God to us. And it is not insufficient. In fact, it says the opposite in 2 Timothy 3. What does it say? The Word of God is sufficient. But I have, I'm I'm, I'm struggling to understand. The Word of God is sufficient. And it will equip us for all good works. And this is the attitude that we must have when we come to the Word of God. This is humility going to the Word of God and saying, help me understand. Teach me your ways. It's unfortunately too common for a professing Christian to make a public announcement that their personal beliefs have shifted from orthodox Christianity into something more palpable to our cultural moment. Inevitably, there will come a time when you feel that there is a contradiction within yourself to what the Scripture says. 
what you feel is right is what diff- is different than what Scripture is saying is right. And in that moment, the posture that you have towards the Word of God will dictate your future. The one who humbly seeks the truth, as the disciples did, goes to the Lord, goes to the Word of God, and says, Lord, tell me what I should believe. Speak to me. He has spoken. May we submit ourselves to it. The prideful heart stands against God's word and says, well, my God would never do that. I think, I feel, I believe. See, pride asks the Bible to confirm to our personal feelings, where humility submits even to the hardest truths. The first principle of growing as wheat surrounded by weeds, is to humbly seek the truth. To humbly seek the truth. Parable 2 of growing as wheat surrounded by weeds, opposition to the kingdom of heaven will always exist in this age. Remember the second question the servants asked? When the servants get to their master, he asks, they, they ask, did you not sow good seed? Why are there weeds? And then they ask, do you want us to go and gather the weeds? The servants are ready to ask, are ready to act as they have been hired to. But the master says, surprisingly, no. Here are two things that we should learn from this. First, the kingdom of heaven is not immediate. We live in the already, but not yet. Matthew gives us a summary of what you might hear Jesus saying or preaching as he's going around and teaching. Matthew 4, verse 17 and 23. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You could also translate that, is near. And then Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Wait, so if the kingdom of heaven is not immediate, what is Jesus talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Jesus is going around all around Galilee, speaking about the good news. And what is the good news? What is the gospel that he's bringing? The kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. It's near. The Jews were expecting the kingdom of of heaven to arrive with the Messiah as a political and a physical kingdom. They were expecting this immediate transition from the age of the Messiah to the age of the fully realized kingdom. But Jesus is introducing to them the reality that his kingdom is different. His kingdom has been planted and it will grow as a seed awaiting the king's return. Until that moment, we will continue to live side by side with evil. Yes, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but the king has not fully established his reign here yet. Second, since the kingdom of heaven is not immediate, we will face opposition. It is expected that evil is in this world. 
Satan has deliberately sown a counterfeit kingdom in this world. And these two kingdoms will clash until the return of the king. God will pull the weeds out. He will send his reapers, his angels, and he will divide the wheat and the weeds. But it is not that time yet. God will pull the weeds out of his kingdom and all things that cause evil and sin will be judged and removed. And that is good news. The kingdom of heaven is, in a sense, already in force. Hebrews 8, or Hebrews 2, verse 8 says, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, Jesus. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. In this passage, there is a now of Jesus being crowned already in all glory. But there is a not yet. Is that not everything has been made in subjection to him. As the Jews interpreted the prophets, they saw the coming of the Messiah, the outpouring of the Spirit, and the resurrection of the dead as the signs of the end of the age. The age to come, as they would say. Jesus arrives as the Messiah and teaches that the age of the church would exist in the already and not yet of the kingdom. Age to come or the end of the age would be brought about by the second coming of Christ. Upon his return, the kingdom would be fully established physically. They saw the arrival of the kingdom of heaven as a single occurrence. But like all good finales, there's a part one and a part two. We live in the longingly waiting for part two to finally be released. Now, there's some in this room that have no idea what it feels like to wait for the next episode. It's not fair. Binge-watching was not a thing because you couldn't. I remember in college working around the TV schedule in the evening and planning with my friends We loved a show, and it would come on Thursdays at 7. So we would plan watch parties. We would wait. We would talk about it. We're like, oh, I can't wait. What do you think is going to happen this time? Oh, man, I can't wait. Oh, that was such a surprise last time. We would talk about it. We'd wait for it. Then we'd say, oh, we'll show up early. We're going to show up at 6 to make sure we're all situated. Then we're going to... Then we're going to stay after. We're going to dialogue about what is happening in the show. And then finale night would come, and we'd say, it's got to be special. What do you do in in college? Let's get pizza, right? And so then we would eat together, and we'd share this moment together because the long-awaited finale has finally come. And church, that's how it should be for us. We should expect it. We should be on the edge of our seat. I can't wait for what's going to happen. He said he will return. He will return. It will happen. Part two will come. And we are waiting for it to finally be released. In this age of the church, we exist alongside the weeds in patience and in perseverance. In verse 29, the master tells the servants to not pull the weeds. I didn't expect that. I expected him to go, yes. What are you waiting for? Pull the weeds out. Get the root and everything in it. No, he's assuming the servants are a bad judge of the difference between wheat and weed. Maybe this tells us a bit about the ability, our ability to judge the character of others. 
So when we ask the question, why doesn't God remove this opposition? Why doesn't God finally rid us of evil? Part of our answer is, He will. It's coming. We're in between. Part one has fully arrived. And it is better than we could have ever expected. But part two is coming. We do not need to wonder why God allows evil. He tells us to expect it in this age. And at times it can seem like there are more weeds than there is wheat, can it? We're flooded with news. And as far as our eyes can see, there are weeds. But we can't miss the wheat for the weeds. For when we are overwhelmed by the evils in our world, we must remind ourselves that the fulfillment of the kingdom is coming because Jesus has already written the end of the story. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on us. It has been written by Him. And this leads us to our final principle this morning. So the three principles of growing as wheat when we are surrounded by weeds. Principle one, humbly seek the truth of the kingdom of heaven. Principle two, opposition to the kingdom will always exist in this age. It's to be expected. And principle three, the culmination of the kingdom of heaven is certain. I feel like we need to be reminded of this this morning. If you need to, if you get distracted when When someone reads a large chunk of Scripture, just close your eyes. This is our blessed hope. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And we jump ahead to verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. At the end of the age, there will be an end to evil. There will be an end to suffering. There will be an end to sin. God will weed His kingdom. And only those who have trusted in the Lamb of God will be saved. What's the difference between weed and wheat? It's a trusting and professing in the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 40, we see the consequence of the picture that Jesus has painted in his parable. Jesus speaking of the end of the age, where the end of time comes and the long-expected finale, part two, arrives. 
This represents the conclusion of time before Christ establishes his kingdom. At his second coming, his angels will gather the evildoers and all causes of evil, and he will judge them. He will make all things wrong, right. This place of judgment is described in verse 42 as a fiery furnace. Now this should remind you of Daniel 3. And in this place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One commentator uh, explained that there's weeping that suggests sorrow or emotional grief, agony. Grinding of one's teeth speaks of physical pain. Unbelievers, those who have rebelled against the Lord and rejected the gospel, will be judged. God's harvesting angels will weed out all of those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life. So how could God allow this evil to exist in our day? He says that for a season, weeds and wheat will grow alongside each other. They will exist in the same field, but the end has already been written. The culmination of the kingdom is certain, Unbelievers will be punished. And then in contrast, we see what happens to the wheat. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The harvesting of the wheat stands in stark contrast here, doesn't it? These are two very different destinations. It is described as a full enjoyment of the kingdom of their father. This is our inheritance for all who have professed and confessed the name of Jesus Christ. If you have confessed with your mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. This inheritance should always be before our eyes. When we're we're surrounded by weeds, when it seems like evil is growing, because it is, Our eyes must go upward and be reminded of the kingdom of heaven. That our inheritance is secure. God, Jesus said to expect this evil to grow alongside us. We don't have to ask why. Now we ask, when, Lord? When? No matter what this life brings, may we say that I am secure. I am secure in my eternal inheritance, not because of who I am, but because of what has been done on my behalf. We must live in this age with two perspectives. First, we have to remind ourselves of part one. Like me and my friends would talk about that episode we talked about, we saw the the day before, right? The week before. Man, I can't believe that happened. We must be people who talk continually about the message. We can't get over it. It's it's what our lives are about. The gospel. Jesus came. But our heart's posture is not that we're made for this world. We are made for the world to come. And we are awaiting His arrival. Expectantly. If you can't wait, For the next football game or TV show to air and you're just like, ah, that's all I can think about. Check your heart. Just like I do. Why do I long and await for the pleasures of this world, but I don't long and await for the kingdom of heaven? 
Evil will feel like it's overwhelming if our eyes are not set on the kingdom of God. Let me end this morning with a question. What are you living your your life in light of? What's the focus of your life? What are your eyes set on? Are you thinking about, it, man, if I can just be here or do this tomorrow, it'll be good. If I can just do this next week or if we can plan this or do this and in one year we'll be here and five years we'll be here, that's not long enough. Your eyes must be set on the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is coming. Fully realized. And when your eyes are set on that, we can, we can be secure in our eternal inheritance. The kingdom of heaven is like wheat growing among weeds. It's simple. So grow like wheat even when you're surrounded by weeds. Let's pray.